and welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of Action for Healthy Communities and is provided in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo. Today's host is Mario Espinosa Kulik, and you're invited to listen, learn, and participate in our conversation today. Between 1 and 2 p.m., you can call in and be part of the discussion at 805-549-8855, or you can email your questions to voices at kcbx.org. Now, let's join Mario and his guests. Over to you, Mario. Good afternoon and welcome, everyone. My name is Mario Spinoza Kulik, and you're listening to Central Coast Voices on KCBX. On today's show, we'll be recognizing National Cancer Prevention Month and taking the opportunity to reflect on the ways we can increase healthy behaviors that prevent cancer, screen for various types of cancers and related illnesses, and support individuals in treatment and recovery. I'm excited to discuss these topics further with our local experts. We have two guests on our show today to talk about this with us. First, we have Candace Sanders, Executive Director at Cancer Support Community, California Central Coast, and Dr. Brian DiCarlo, Medical Oncologist and Lead Physician of the University of California, Los Angeles Health in San Luis Obispo. Welcome, Candace and Dr. DiCarlo. Hi, Mario. Thanks for having us today. Thanks for having us, Mario. Thanks for being here. I want to start by having our listeners get to know each of you a little bit um, and how you came to be in your current role and what work that you do and how that brings you here today. Um, Can you please share about your work and how you came to your current position, Candace? Yeah, so my name is Mario Sedis, Candace Sanders. I'm the executive director of the cancer support community here on the Central Coast. Uh, I myself am a cancer survivor, and that's how I got involved with this organization. Uh, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer just three days after my 35th birthday. And uh, I, as a, you know, at that point when I was diagnosed, my world was just kind of rocked and didn't know what I was going to do, how I was going to, um, you know, get through it. And I, a coworker of mine at the time suggested I reach out to a cancer support community. And so I reached out to CSC and quickly became involved with this organization as a participant. Um, Once I finished treatment, I went, um, came on as a volunteer and then was fortunate enough to be able to come on as a staff member. And so I'm so happy to be here serving in this role. Um, Just a little bit about Cancer Support Community, just so you guys know, um, we are a nonprofit that are local here in our communities. Uh, Our mission is to ensure that all people who are touched by cancer are empowered by knowledge, sustained by action, and by their community. Our motto is community is stronger than cancer, and we do provide social, emotional, and health and wellness support for cancer patients and their families, all at no charge to our participants. Um, So we are really committed to defining and implementing quality cancer care and support to help improve the patient's quality of life. Because as you know, the mental health piece is really important um, in conjunction, obviously, with the medical care they're receiving through their treatment. So, Happy to answer any questions you have about our organization and what we do for support, but I know that we'll kind of get into that a little bit more. So I'll go ahead and pass it over to you. Thank you. No, I really appreciate you sharing about CSC and the work that you do. Uh, Dr. DiCarlo, how would you like to tell us about yourself? 
Sure. Thanks, Mario. Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in New York. Uh, I grew up on Long Island, New York, and uh, went to uh, medical school at the State University of New York in Brooklyn and ultimately did my residency and fellowship at uh, Cornell in, uh, in Manhattan, um, where I uh, spent a lot of time on the leukemia wards, where is really where my, my initial interest in, in cancer medicine uh, took hold. Um, and uh, when I ultimately decided to become uh, an oncologist, um, I went to fellowship uh, also in the same area, uh, Cornell. And then I married a California girl, and we ended up moving out to, to California and to the Central Coast. Uh, and I've been here for about 15 years and uh, been working at, uh, in, in two different uh, private practices uh, over the years. Uh, and more recently, I was offered uh, an opportunity to open up a UCLA uh, cancer program uh, here in San Luis Obispo. Uh, so we, we opened up the UCL, UCLA Health uh, Cancer Program here um, about four years ago. And, um, and uh, one of the main things that we are trying to do is increasing access uh, for uh, a smaller community such as the Central Coast to uh, cancer clinical trials and some of the more cutting edge uh, uh, treatments that are available at the bigger centers without having to travel and that's kind of been the passion of mine to bring uh, clinical trials here. Um, and uh, we, we've expanded now. We have some primary care and rheumatology and endocrinology and other specialists uh, nearby. So uh, thanks for having me, Mario. Yeah, thanks for being here. Are there um, any specific uh, types of cancer that your practice is, um, is, is, is well equipped to handle? Or are, is it anybody who has cancer? Sure. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so uh, we treat pretty much all types of cancer, which we need to do in a, in a community setting. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, we definitely have uh, expertise in, in a lot of the common cancers, you know, most common cancers being breast cancer and lung cancer, prostate, colon. Uh, we also treat um, blood cancers, uh, lymphomas, leukemias, myeloma. Um, and we, all, we actually treat pediatric uh, patients as well. We have a nurse practitioner, Mary Okimoto, who is a pediatric oncology nurse practitioner. And that's one of the things I would like to get out uh, uh, awareness of out today um, because uh, a lot of our pediatric families um, uh, don't have to travel to L.A. or San Francisco to get all their treatment. But we work in conjunction with the uh, children's hospitals, such as L.A. Children's or uh, uh, Lucille Packard at Stanford. So uh, kind of the kind of the full gamut of, of of cancer care. That's great to know about the the that there's a local uh, cancer service center. Right? There, I know there are a lot of people who have been traveling to places like Stanford or Los Angeles to get their treatment. And uh, how does cancer support community come in um, in terms of any collaborations um, with UCLA Health or any other cancer providers here, Candice? Yeah, so actually, Dr. DiCarlo serves on our board at Cancer Support Community, as well as Mary Okamoto, as he mentioned, the pediatric oncologist nurse practitioner. Um, but we, you know, for us, we work in conjunction with both UCLA Health, as well as with Tenet, the Tenet Group, and with Dignity, um, you know, in providing services for their participants and their patients. Now, as mentioned, the Social emotional piece of cancer treatment is really important. So a lot of the, um, our local medical services will reach out to us to kind of support their patients in that way. 
Uh, we also do at our uh, at our facility, we offer some cancer care scholarships. So, so if there are those who are suffering from the financial toxicity of treatment, we do have uh, some money aside to help if they do have to travel or, um, you know, provide some assistance in helping with some, um, if they're underinsured. There are also some wonderful other uh, local nonprofits that do help with financial toxicity, one of which um, I'll mention is Saves Wings, and they do uh, grants and scholarships for those who are looking to help um, pay with some of the bills that they might incur with their treatments, as well as the Hearst Cancer Resource Center. That is another um, wonderful organization that will help provide some services for those in our community who've been impacted by cancer. Are your services open to any resident in San Luis Obispo, or is it also open to anyone who might be outside of our county? So we actually um, serve San Luis Obispo County. All of the funds that we raise stay here locally for our communities. But we, but Cancer Support Community itself is actually um, part of a national nonprofit. Um, we're just a, our own individual local community. So we're what is called a community partner. Um, so there are. are 85 cancer support communities throughout the country. Um, we do have, we do provide some services to Santa Maria. There is a cancer support community in Valley Ventura, Santa Barbara. So technically they kind of get the Santa Maria area, but since we actually are the closer facility, we will sometimes take a lot of their participants on. Um, unfortunately, right now there's actually not a cancer support community located in the Central Valley. So one of the I would say one of the silver linings of COVID was the fact that we were able to move our programs to hybrid or virtual via Zoom. So that really has expanded our reach into the community. So we've been able to take uh, participants from all over, you know, obviously if they're they're bedded in an area that has a cancer support community, like up in the Bay Area or uh, down in, you know, used down in L.A. There's there's like four of them down in Southern California. But for those who are in areas that do not have an actual physical location, we've been we we are more than happy to help serve them. Uh, are there any events or programs coming up that you'd like to share? Um, we have a lot going on here. Uh, one of the things we're doing is we're just starting actually on Monday, we're starting a new breast cancer support group. So as I mentioned, we we do the social emotional support. So we have support groups for uh, current patients, as well as for caregivers. We have a grief group that we do. We also do health and wellness programs. Uh, the breast cancer group is a cancer specific group we've started. Um, we have had a lot of women coming and as well as men who've come to us who've been diagnosed with breast cancer and are looking for a group that's going to be more focused and tailored towards their certain diagnosis. So we're starting that on Monday. We also have a really fun fundraising event coming up, which I will say because it is um, a healthy lifestyle. It's our tour of Paso. So it's a bike ride that we do. Uh, it's going to be April 2nd. It takes place starting and ends at Niner Wine Estates. We have both a 26 and 50 mile ride throughout the lovely Paso Rebels wine country. Should be beautiful, especially with all this rain, the wildflowers and stuff. And so that is a good way to get out, uh, fundraise, get a team, get some exercise, get some sunshine and raise some money for our services. Awesome. And Dr. DiCarlo, is UCLA Health doing any sort of programs like that? Or are there, how do, how, if someone didn't know about UCLA Health, how, where would they hear about it? 
You know, we uh, we are doing similar things uh, in some ways, but we, we, we actually lean on the cancer support community quite a bit. Um, they do such a great job with with um, the social aspects and the, and, and the uh, counseling aspects that, that, that are important in cancer care. So we routinely um, refer to them as part of our um, comprehensive care of a patient. Um, so uh, the Hearst Cancer Resource Center uh, in SLO as well uh, we, uh, is, a, is an excellent resource. We refer to them quite often. Um, UCLA, we have a, a social worker. Um, her name is Ashley, and she works for the Sims Mann Integrative Oncology Cancer Center, which is uh, based out of uh, UCLA main campus. But we have kind of a satellite uh, clinic of that. And that offers uh, also counseling and offers uh, Zoom uh, meetings uh, with support groups at UCLA, uh, also uh, nutrition and um, integrative medicine, complementary medicine as well. So, um, so I think we have a, a, a well-rounded program uh, uh, in our area, and, that, and that's one of the main things I like to your listeners to to know is that um, these you know these services are available. Uh, here um, and uh, don't have to travel necessarily um, to the big cities um, for all your care. And let's say if somebody did not speak English, is there support for folks that might speak a different language? Right. Yeah, we have we have interpreter uh, services uh, for any patient, um, uh, pretty much any language. Uh, the UCLA interpret interpretation services uh, come in. Um, there is a, uh, a Spanish uh, navigator, lay navigator, uh, with Hearst Cancer Resource Center as well. And I think you guys have, have one too, Candice, right? The, yes, uh, yeah. we do. We have a therapist on staff who is Spanish speaking, um, as well as one of our social facilitators who uh, we have a grupo that she hosts monthly that is a Spanish speaking support group. Um, and she really is, her name is Luz Luzano, and she's very pivotal in going into our Spanish speaking communities and letting people know about the services that we provide. Um, and, and then we have Debbie Heredia on staff, and she is our Spanish speaking therapist. And so we were really, really excited to bring her on board because we were able to start providing individual counseling for Spanish speaking, our Spanish speaking patients. And um, again, having that facilitated group. And this is an area that I uh, myself would love to expand upon in um, into our services is to get more support for those um, in our area who, you know, maybe have been lacking support because we didn't have, we didn't have those uh, who were able to communicate with them. So bringing Luz and having Debbie on, on board has really kind of opened up, up to be able to provide some more uh, Spanish speaking services. That is so amazing. I'm Mario Espinosa Kulik with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, your Central Coast listener-supported radio station. The voices with mine today are Candace Sanders, Executive Director at Cancer Support Community, California Central Coast, and Dr. Brian DiCarlo, Medical Oncologist and Lead Physician of UCLA Health in San Luis Obispo. We've been getting to know these two individuals and experts along with the work that their organizations do for our communities here on the Central Coast. In this next section, I'd like to talk more about what people should know about cancer and cancer prevention. We do invite and welcome you to bring your questions or comments about today's topic to our guests. To do that, call 805-549-8855, or you can email them to voices at kcbx.org. 
Now, I was doing a little bit of research to uh, see what has changed um, in regard to cancer prevalence. And according to a study conducted by the American Cancer Society, at least 42% of newly diagnosed cancers in the U.S., which translates to about 750,000 cases in 2020, are potentially avoidable. This points to the lack of awareness about preventative steps that can be taken, as well as the gaps in health communication and public health services. And I also want to acknowledge that most of us have been affected by cancer in some way. Um, there are still some fundamental misconceptions about its causes and potential outcomes. Could one of you please share um, and define for us what exactly is cancer? I'm sure. going to turn that over um, to the expert. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, so, uh, so cancer really is um, a genetic disease in the sense that um, it is a population of cells that has undergone some form of genetic mutation and starts to grow uncontrollably by making uh, a clone of itself. So whatever, whatever malignancy you're looking at, whether it's breast cancer or, or a blood cancer like leukemia, it's generally the best way to think about it is it's a, a genetically mutated cell that is growing out of control. And what conditions and factors might influence um, whether or not someone will get cancer in their lifetime? You mentioned genetics. Does that mean like hereditary? Uh, if, if it's in your family, you may be at risk for it? Correct, correct. So um, I, I'm glad you brought up that uh, American Cancer Society study um, because, we, you know, we do feel that data is accurate. So the one thing with regards to prevention, if you were to look at, if we were to sit, have one takeaway from this, <laughs> from this uh, hour, uh, would be that smoking, stop smoking. So smoking uh, tobacco uh, causes about a third of all cancers in, in the world. Um, so about 33% would be, would be uh, eliminated by the elimination of tobacco. Um, the, uh, but there are other risk factors, that, as you alluded to, that, that are potentially avoidable. Um, so some, some cancers are related to uh, sedentary lifestyle, lack of, lack of exercise, um, uh, poor diet. Uh, colon cancer specifically has been has been uh, related to this. Uh, breast cancer, there's a clear there's a clear relation to uh, lifestyle uh, uh, changes. So, so healthy eating, regular exercise, those are those are preventive techniques. Um, alcohol is another is another big one. Actually, probably larger than we we thought or hoped. <laughs> um, the uh, even if even if a few drinks a, a week can increase your risk of uh, multiple types of cancers. That's something to, to know and to moderate. Um, and then lastly, genetics, um, a, a, as you mentioned, Mario, probably accounts for uh, maybe 10 or 15% of all cancers, um, but they are important because um, uh, when cancers run in the family, nowadays we can uh, do testing where we test, you know, really up to 100 genes in one blood test and can find uh, genetic syndromes that run in the families. And, 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 these are, and these are tests that can save lives because we can prevent the cancers and uh, screen and monitor for the cancers that those genes uh, increase the risk for. So, uh, so those, are, those are the things to really focus on, uh, healthy lifestyle, tobacco cessation, moderate uh, alcohol use, and, uh, and know your family history a little bit and bring it up with your primary care physicians if you have uh, significant family history. 
in um in regards to that like for folks that might not have a family history how would someone know if they might have cancer yeah that's a great question and that's that's an an evolving question too so uh many of your listeners probably know that there are some screening tests for for cancer uh, unfortunately it's still the minority of cancers that we have great screening tests for the, the one that's most well known is is breast cancer uh, so mammograms uh, and, and breast MRI and ultrasound are excellent screening tools and, and should be um, considered for, for all uh, women above the age of 40. Um, uh, we have colonoscopies for colon cancer. Um, now the age has gone down to 45 because uh, unfortunately I've seen this in my practice. There has been a significant increase in younger colon cancer uh, in the 40s, sometimes even in the 30s. Um, uh, cervical cancer, there's screening pap smears. Um, by the way, there is a vaccine for cervical cancer, which is a little bit underutilized. Um, uh, this is this is a vaccine that can be given to uh, men, uh, males and females from I think age 13 up to now 40. And this is you know this is kind of ama- an amazing thing that kind of flies under the radar, but it's a vaccine that actually prevents cancer, prevents cervical cancer, oral pharynx cancers, so mouth and throat, and anal cancers. So uh, very important to think about. And um, so those are the big ones, prostate cancer is PSA, which is a blood test. But the most exciting thing, uh, Mario, is, 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 um, is the new blood tests that are, that are in development and uh, coming, coming very soon that are actually can screen for, for multiple cancers in a, in a blood test. And this is kind of what we've all been waiting for. Um, so there, there's actually one test uh, even available on the market right now called Galeri. Um, and... Um, it's, it's a new technology that basically can pick up, believe it or not, circulating tumor DNA um, that's in the bloodstream and can pick up very small amounts of it and then can characterize it and actually tell, it, tell us where it's coming from. So, um, so this is going to be, you know, it's not quite ready for prime time, but within the next couple of years, certainly within probably five years, it's going to be very routine to go to your primary care physician and get a screening, cancer screening blood test, which will be a game changer. That's an exciting new development, and definitely for sure. If I could add something, too. (laughs) I mean, obviously, we have all of these, you know, wonderful techniques and screening, but just I'm going to put in, listen to your body. You know, and I know that that's, it's really the most obvious, you know, so obvious in talking about how, you know, um, just speaking from experience, you know, I, I, what I, I realized that there wasn't, something wasn't right. And I kept going to doctors trying to get them to, um, understand, you know, figure out what was going on with me. And, you know, as I mentioned, I had ovarian cancer and ovarian itself is pretty rare in women my age. And so doctors, you know, that was not what went to their mind. And so it was easy for, us to place blame on other issues that I, you know, and other reasons I might be having these symptoms, but I really was very persistent in seeking uh, support and help. And I, you know, went to, kept going to my OBGYN and finally um, an incidental finding of ovarian. And I do not have a family history of cancer. I didn't test positive for the BRCA gene. Um, There was none of that. And um, I can, I can say that the fact that I was so persistent with trying to get answers that I, you know, we were able, fortunately, to find it in early stages. And so I was, um, you know, my 
prognosis is wonderful because obviously the earlier you catch it, the the better the likelihood of, uh, you know, a, a healthy outcome. And I, I'm happy to say it's, I'm going on five years from diagnosis and, you know, my scans have been clean um, ever since. So that's the one thing right. that I can say is, if you know if something's wrong with your body and um, it's easy to kind of, especially for women, I find it's easy for us to kind of say, oh, you know, it's it, it's just my cross to bear. This is what I get from having menstrual period, you know, all of this stuff. But really, um, if you're not getting answers, you like be persistent and, and be proactive in seeking care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Advocate for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And, you're your number that- one advocate. That's exactly right. And, and Candace brings up a perfect example in, of, of screening. So ovarian cancer, we do not have a good screening test for, which is the big problem with this disease. About 85% of ovarian cancers prevent, uh, present in uh, uh, stage three or stage four. Mm-hmm. Um, with good screening, like these blood tests I was mentioning, you know, if we can find uh, stage one ovarian cancers, you know, the cure rates are in the 90% or above range, that will save a lot of lives. Yeah, and you know, this just makes me think about, uh, like I've seen a lot of different infographics of manual screening, like if you don't have access to a mammogram or, or, or any kind of technological uh, screening treatment um, or, or methods, is that advisable for folks um, to, to screen themselves um, by hand or? For, for breast cancer, uh, uh, yes. So self-exam is, is, is helpful. Um, I've, I've had many patients who have found a lump themselves, and that was their presenting symptom. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is just kind of knowing what your normal is and maybe, you know, picking the first day of the month that you'll look in the mirror and look at symmetry and examine yourself and do it on a monthly basis and and, and, uh, and bring up changes to your to your physician and you know, a mammogram can be done. Um, that That's probably the main thing, you know, no, no, being aware of some symptoms, you know, ovarian cancer, again, is a great example, you know, abdominal bloating, you know, uh, big abdomen, distended, uh, abdominal pain, discomfort, having trouble uh, moving your bowels. Uh, in a woman, uh, that is, that always is a red flag for, you know, thinking about ovarian cancer, even though it's rare, happens. So um, those are the kind of things to look out for. Um, you mentioned colon cancer earlier, and that just reminded me of my dad who who passed away uh, in 2013 of uh, colon cancer that metastasized to the lungs. And so the, I'm just wondering if you could uh, uh, shed some light on this term metast- metastasization, I think it might be the term. Sure, sure. So, so uh, metastases are metastases. when um, the cancer actually uh, spreads to another part of the body, and it can go to other organs like lung or liver. And um, generally speaking, when that happens, uh, the disease is uh, often considered incurable. Um, so, so the the idea of prevention and screening is really to catch it before that that happens. You know, like like it happened with your with your dad, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, so that that really is where our our focus needs to be. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that information and sharing that with our listeners too. Uh, we're going to take a short break to hear from our team and a little bit of music. 
Back over to you, Brad. And thank you, Mario. We will return to Central Coast Voices in just a moment. From the KCBX community calendar, come out and see the Lone Bellow perform at the Performing Arts Center of San Luis Obispo on Wednesday, February 15th from 7.30 to 9 o'clock. The Lone Bellow are an articulate and emotionally intelligent roots rock group. I played them on my show across the tracks, which you can hear tonight from 8 to 10. And they embrace the dynamics of bluegrass and gospel, the fire of rock and roll, and the passion of Lose while uh, sharing tales of folks trying to make something of their lives, sometimes against long odds. It is The Lone Bellow tonight, and if you'd like uh, tickets and more information, visit calpolyarts.org. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, a close look at the animated Latina icon, Dora the Explorer. We dive into what propelled her rise to preschool programming dominance. This idea of not building barriers gave extra meaning and heart and urgency to the mission of the show. That's next time on Latino USA. On the next Fresh Air, understanding one of the world's leading terrorist organizations, journalist Jerry Van Dyke has spent years in Afghanistan and Pakistan, where he got to know leaders of the Haqqani Network, responsible for many suicide bombings and kidnappings. Van Dyke was taken hostage himself in 2008. His new book is called Without Borders. Join us. There's a small crafting business in Durham, North Carolina. It's five years old now, but the owner still doesn't know what to expect. I just don't feel like I can look back at previous years and be like, okay, this is what I can expect January to be like, or this is what I can expect sales to be. I'm Kai Rizdahl, working the small business grind without getting your yarn in a bunch. That's next time on Marketplace. Thanks for joining us on your Thursday afternoon. That's all ahead today. Latino USA at 2 o'clock, followed by Fresh Air at 3, and then Marketplace at 4. Right now, it is time for more Central Coast Voices here on KCBX with Mario and his guests. Back to you, Mario. Thanks, Brad. The voices with mine today are Candace Sanders, Executive Director at Cancer Support Community, California Central Coast, and Dr. Brian DiCarlo, Medical Oncologist and Lead Physician of UCLA Health in San Luis Obispo. As we mentioned, February is National Cancer Prevention Month, and we've been talking about some of the fundamental facts you should know about cancer to help prevent you and the people you love from getting sick. I'd like us to look a little bit further into some of the social dynamics that influence cancer prevalence, severity, and outcomes. While cancer can affect any individual, regardless of their background, researchers have documented that cancer is more likely to occur and lead to death based on socioeconomic status, race, gender, age, ability, and other social factors. How does cancer affect different communities um, uh, based on their, their socioeconomic status or any of those other factors like race and gender. Candace, do you have an answer for us? Yeah, uh, so unfortunately, it can definitely, um, access to healthcare as well as, you know, um, equity in healthcare is a, it's a really important topic and something that, um, you know, I know we work towards and keep in our mind is giving, I guess, giving everybody this equal access to treatment. And um, unfortunately, you know, there are statistics that show that, you know, those who are in lower economic rural communities, um, even, you know, social and racial 
um, barriers can unfortunately create barriers in in cancer care or healthcare in general. Um, there are movements to help change that and what they call is closing the care gap. And one of those movements is actually um, this Saturday, February 4th is World Cancer Day. And this is one of the leading international awareness days for inequity in cancer care. And so this global initiative was started to raise awareness and bring people um, awareness to this topic and to get people as a positive movement for everyone to unite, to have their voice heard, to create, um, you know, to, to help close those barriers and close that gap. And so I do invite anybody who's interested in this movement um, to visit their website. It's called worldcancerday.org. Um, it's a great website. It has amazing statistics about what these, um, you know, these gaps and the statistics are quite jarring and really, really eye opening. Um, also has ways that you can take action and get involved as far as, um, you know, petitions you can sign, different uh, materials you can distribute, because it's really important to, you know, you can't fix a problem without being aware of a problem. And so I really do encourage people to go to this site and really educate yourself on, um, you know, what, like I said, what what you can do to kind of help close those gaps, as well as, um, you know, if, unfortunately, if you are experiencing that yourself, um, you know, if you're having an issue with healthcare, with insurance, I know, um, and I, I'm not even going to start my whole insurance thing because <laughs> um, it, it can be a problem. And there are organizations, again, I need to stress, there are organizations locally that can help with the fi financial toxicity for cancer care. Because I know, especially even with pre preventative measures, sometimes people put those off because they don't, you know, they have a high deductible or, you know, they, they don't carry insurance and they're scared that it's going to, you know, or they don't go to a doctor if they're having symptoms because of the cost. Um, and unfortunately, you know, as Dr. DiCarlo pointed out, it's, if the longer you put it off and long, you know, or kind of bury your head in the sand, unfortunately, um, you know, it might be in later stages when it's caught. And I know that that had been a big problem, especially in the past couple of years um, with people actually just scared to go into medical facilities because of, um, you know, because of COVID. So there were a lot of preventative screening measures that were put off. And because of that, unfortunately, I think, and Dr. DiCarlo, please correct me if I'm wrong, you've probably seen cases coming in at, at later stages where if people were getting their, you know, annual um, treatment or going in to see their doctors if something they felt something was wrong that might have been caught in earlier stages. No question. No question. We definitely, we definitely had, had seen, especially, you know, in the, in the sort of year following the, the pandemic, um, uh, close, close down, <laughs> close down of society, um, you know, uh, uh, later stage uh, cancers because mammograms, colonoscopies, things like that weren't done. Um, and Mario, what you brought up about, about uh, under, underrepresented populations um, and, and cancer, um, you know, incidents and outcome, I tell you, it, it's a complex problem and, and one that we need to do a better job uh, with uh, as, a, as a cancer community, as an oncology community. I think there's, there's several things, a lot of it um, Candace just touched on, uh, you know, socio socioeconomic issues, which, you know, are related to access to care, insurance, you know, Medi-Cal uh, Medi um, uh, access, um, 
prevention, you know, the things we talked about, and, and some of this has to do with socioeconomic as far as healthy lifestyle and, you know, tobacco use, um, drug use, things like that. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, the other thing that's interesting about, about this is, is the biology. So it turns out that for some reason, um, for instance, uh, African-American um, uh, patients who are uh, breast cancer patients, for instance, or prostate, um, uh, for, for some reason, just do a little bit. They have, they have more aggressive disease biologically for some reason. Um, where stage for stage, they may do they may do a little worse than than, than um, their um, uh, white counterparts, for instance. Uh, this is especially seen in, in prostate cancer. And there's a lot of research trying to figure out why that is. Um, there, you know, could it be some environmental things, or is it really genetic? Uh, in the sense that um, yeah, there are certain mutations that happen in, in, in populations more than others. Um, so uh, those are things that are really being researched right now. And can we find the reasons? And can we um, can we go? Can we treat um, based on those findings? Uh, to give an example, um, uh, in uh, prostate cancer, uh, African American population often has a mutation uh, in a gene called p53, which is a common mutation in, in all of cancer, but is associated with a more aggressive disease. And for some reason, it's more prevalent in, in the African American population. Why is that? And can we figure out how to block that p53 gene? Um, can we can we actually attack that problem? So those are the things we need to look at in the future. Thanks for sharing about that, and um, it makes me think about these environmental factors, like maybe where somebody works might increase the prevalence of cancer. So I'm thinking about here on the Central Coast, some occupational health hazards could include exposure to pesticides in fields or the use of cleaning chemicals that are utilized in restaurants and hotels. Do, is it true that the exposure to those types of things lead to greater cancer risk? It's a great question. And it's still a controversial question um, in the sense that it's hard to, it's hard to prove causality. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, we do know that there are clear associations with um, certain um, aer aerosol uh, chemicals, you know, in, in factories and things like that, maybe it uh, could be associated with lung cancer. Um, pesticides have been associated with things like non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. Um, the, uh, the asbestos story is well known, um, which, you know, was a big problem and still remains a problem. Um, uh, that kind of exposure can lead to mesothelioma or lung cancer. So a, a lot of it is that too, you know, in, in, in the populations that, you know, like our, like our community, that's rural and, and, um, and those kind of uh, occupations are, are, are prevalent. You see more of that, you know. So those are the things that you, you know, the, the, the community needs to be aware of. Have you seen any uh, successful strategies that reach historically underserved populations? Yeah, you know, I think I, I think a lot of it is is, is the are the things that Candice uh, uh, does with the with the uh, support networks, and also you know the health systems too. So I think. You know, things like we've done in the community, like uh, community prostate screenings or uh, or uh, skin cancer screenings in the community for free, free mammograms. You know, we should be providing mammograms for everybody for free in this country, which is, you know, uh, an issue. Um, so, you know, th those kind of uh, outreach programs, uh, uh, cervical cancer screening as well. Um, can we get the vaccine, the, the HPV vaccine to, to a population that, uh, you know, can't afford co-pays and things like that. 
those are the things that really help. Those are the things that really help. And then it's, and then it's education, you know, it's getting out and, ta- and talking uh, to the community and, and, and educating that there are things you can do. In our community on the Central Coast, is there a certain type of cancer that's more common or types of cancers? Yeah, that's a good question. So we've looked at this, um, you know, we, we, we thought that uh, lymphomas may be a little bit higher um, in this population based on the agricultural community. We haven't seen it, though. We, we looked at this a few years ago, and uh, our numbers in the Central Coast more or less line up with the uh, the uh, general incidences um, uh, of the U.S. population. So we haven't seen it uh, specifically yet. But again, these these are these are associations that are hard to hard to tease out, you know, mm-hmm. in, a, in a population level. Um, and you mentioned the the vaccine. Where where if someone's interested or might be an eligible candidate for a vaccine, where would they be able to get one? Uh, mainly their primary care physicians, um, you know, it, 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 especially pediatricians, uh, they're, they're very well aware of it. Um, it, it can be started as young as the teenage years. I think, I think the youngest, maybe 12 or 13, if I remember right. Um, but now they expanded the indication up to 40. So, you know, general practitioners and, and nurse practitioners, um, this is a, this is something that is not always brought up and, and, and you know, uh, again, being your own advocate, say, Hey, what about the HPV vaccine? You know, um, very effective. It's very effective. I'm Mario Espinosa Kulik with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, Central Coast Public Radio, your listener-supported radio station. If you recently joined us for today's show and want to listen to the entire broadcast, you can. It will be available on our website at www.kcbx.org under the On Demand tab. Click on Central Coast Voices and you will find this show and many others to choose from. The voices with mine today are Candace Sanders, Executive Director at Cancer Support Community, California Central Coast, and Dr. Brian DiCarlo, Medical Oncologist and Lead Physician of UCLA Health in San Luis Obispo. We've been talking about how cancer rates and treatments can become complicated by larger dynamics of inequality in our society related to socioeconomic status, race, gender, and other factors. In this next section, we'll talk more about the new advances in treatments for cancer and how we can ensure inclusive practices in healthcare settings and prevention efforts. You can find Cancer Support Community California Central Coast on Facebook at Cancer Support Community Central Coast California and on Instagram at Cancer Support Slow. UCLA Health has offices in San Luis Obispo and throughout the Central Coast. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at UCLA Health. As we get to the end of the show, we still have a little more time for your email questions or comments at voices at kcbx.org. We would love to hear from you. I know we had probably touched on this a little bit before, uh, Dr. DiCarlo, but can you share a little bit about the different kinds of cancer treatments that are currently available? Sure, sure. Um, so uh, the traditional cancer therapies that most people think about uh, with uh, if, they're, if they're diagnosed with a cancer or a family member is uh, would be um, surgery, um, radiation therapy, and chemotherapy, um, and and those are are still um, mainstays of a lot of a lot of our treatments. Um, but uh, the the world is really changing in, in oncology, and this is what I'm excited about and why why uh, I'm, I'm happy I uh, 
uh, entered this field is that this is really, you know, people, some people have called it the golden age of oncology because it's really, um, uh, things are changing in such a positive way. So to give you uh, examples, um, one of the major advances in the field has been the use of immunotherapy. Um, and these are therapies that are not chemotherapy, but what they do is they uh, stimulate the immune system to fight cancer. And the way they do that is they block these proteins that the cancer cell uses to hide from the immune system. Um, it's kind of a cloak that the cancer cells uh, can hide behind. And these medicines block that and kind of open up the radar so the immune system can, can attack these tumors. And what's really exciting about this is, uh, contrary to what I said earlier uh, about metastatic cancers uh, being uh, incurable, um, there are some metastatic cancers that we actually are curing now, which was unheard of uh, before. Uh, for instance, metastatic melanoma, which was, uh, when I was in training, uniformly fatal within about six months. We're probably curing about 50% uh, of metastatic melanoma with immunotherapy. Um, and, 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 you know, now I, in my practice, I routinely see patients that were, you know, seven, eight, nine years out from uh, treatment for metastatic cancer that was in their liver and their bones and they're alive and well. And it's, it's really remarkable. Um, there are some cancers like colon cancer that have not really responded as well to immunotherapy. So we're trying to learn why that is and how do we overcome that resistance. A few other things, um, uh, one of the things you may hear about is what we call targeted therapy, which has to do with uh, targeting a particular mutation. I, I said that cancer is a genetic disease, not a genetic disease in the sense that you can you always inherit it, but that there's a uh, abnormality in the DNA of the tumor that sometimes we can take advantage of. The best example of that is in lung cancer, we now know of about eight to 10 mutations in certain uh, genes that we now can block with a medicine. The most uh, common is something called the EGFR mutation. If the patient has that, we have EGFR inhibitors, which are pills that you take once a day, and they work far better than chemotherapy ever did. Um, the uh, other, other things that are being looked at are in, um, CAR-T therapies, or what we call uh, genetic um, modulation, where you can take a patient's own immune system, their T cells, and uh, using uh, gene technology can introduce a uh, receptor on that immune system that, that, that recognizes a cancer cell. And then you can give that T cell back to a patient, uh, their own T cells that are activated against the proteins. For instance, uh, this has been a game changer in acute lymphoblastic leukemia, ALL, and some lymphomas where um, we can give these T cells and they attack uh, the leukemia or the lymphoma and actually are leading to cures even when patients have failed lots of therapies, including things like bone marrow transplant. And then uh, lastly, just one other technology that I think is particularly interesting is something we call antibody drug conjugates, which is making a big push in, in the field, is where we have these antibodies that um, specifically recognize a protein that's only on the cancer cell. And on the tail of the antibody, we attach a chemotherapy molecule. And what's interesting is that that uh, chemotherapy is kind of like a smart bomb. It goes only to the cancer cell, and the chemotherapy does not get released until it's taken into the cancer cell. Then it gets released, kills the cell. But the chemotherapy doesn't get, does not get released into the blood, so you do not get things like hair loss, nausea, and things like that. 
So um, this is this is where the field is going, and, and outcomes are really improving because of this. I really appreciate sharing of these new developments and different kinds of cancer treatments that are available to folks. Um, it, in Candace, if, if people are interested in getting more involved with the fight against cancer, do you have any recommendations for what they can do? You know, there's, there's so many different places and ways that you can get involved. Um, you know, I, I think really like Dr. DiCarlo was talking about, um, informing yourself and, and knowing um, about, you know, like I said, resources available. So I know we we accept volunteers. We have people, if people wanted to come, um, you know, help us with here at Cancer Support Community. Um, there are other organizations as well. Uh, other one is Jack's Helping Hand um, and says Hearst Cancer Resource Center um, for people to help Fight cancer, you know, that's one of the things is obviously donating, donating to your causes. If there's a particular, um, you know, a cause that is near and dear to you as far as a certain, you know, certain research uh, for certain types of cancers, you know, funding research is also something that's um, a good way to help. Um, but if you want, you know, to manpower and get out there, you know, go into the communities and, um you work with your local nonprofits to kind of help spread the word about what they're doing. I know for us, it's really important. And we would like people to know we're here and we're here to serve you. Um, you know, we we that's why we have our doors open and our lights on is we're here to help people. And um, we can't help people if people don't know we're here. And so that's, you know, why I'm so thankful for you having us on today is to be able to kind of spread the word about cancer support community and our resources so people can take advantage. Uh, I know it can be very overwhelming with a diagnosis or for yourself or if your loved one is going through treatment, there's so, so much information being thrown at you. And so we here can help you kind of navigate all that information um, and, you know, help point you in certain directions that kind of help you get the support you need, whether it's through financial support or just the mental health piece or, you know, talking to you about um, your, you know, just what you have um, as far as helping you with treatment and things like that. So um, I don't know, I think it was kind of a long winded answer and kind of circular to your question, but um, just reach out to us. We'll help you get in touch with the people you need to. And as I said, we're always here. If you would like to get involved with our organization, we invite you to please contact us and, and we'd love to, we'd love to get you on board. Totally. I hope that our listeners are more inspired to join the fight against cancer. And Dr. DiCarlo, what do you wish more people knew about cancer? Well, I think I think the main thing is that um, it is now a disease that can be treated and often cured. It's not it's not the death sentence that people sometimes label it as even stage four, even metastatic cancers. Um there's a lot of hope, and uh, I think that's the that's what I'd like to get out to your listeners is to understand that it's a very difficult diagnosis. It changes your life. Um, it changes your family's life. Um, but there's uh, there's support out there, uh, like Candace is is referring to, and there are treatments, and the treatments are getting better. Um, and if you can support cancer research then you're, you know, you're, we're, we're pushing the ball down the court, we're raising the bar. And, um, you know, uh, 
We have clinical trials available that are also looking at newer therapies. And we're really moving away from the days of uh, um, chemotherapy, intensive chemotherapy with, you know, uh, terrible side effects and, and those kind of things. And we're moving to, to, we're moving to much smarter therapies. Um, and I think the future is going to be um, brighter as we go forward for cancer medicine. Wonderful. Glad to know that there's hope for our uh, communities that are struggling with cancer. Uh, at this point, I'd like to turn it over to our guests to share anything that we may not have gotten to that you'd like to add. Candice, is there anything else you want to include or emphasize? Oh, no, again, I just kind of want to reiterate that, um, you know, here at Cancer Support Community, California Central Coast, um, we focus on support groups as well as individual counseling, health and wellness programs, as well as patient navigation and some grants. So, um if you or a loved one, anyone you know is affected by cancer, please reach out to us. We're happy to um, you know, be here to serve our communities. Our website is cscslo.org, or you can give us a call at 805-238-4411. Thank you, Candice. Dr. DiCarlo, anything you'd like to add for closing our time together? I think the main thing is that uh, I'd like I'd like the listeners to know that there are clinical trials available in this community. You know, uh, cancer patients are often looking for clinical trials. We know from data that patients on clinical trials actually do better, um, and um, that's available. We uh, we currently have about 25 to 30 open clinical trials for multiple disease types, and um, these are these are UCLA trials that you would get down in Los Angeles at the main campus, but actually never have to go there get all the treatment here in San Luis Obispo. Um, and then other practices in the area, other medical oncology practices in the area also have uh, multiple clinical trials as well. So whoever your uh, cancer physician is, uh, asking about your clinical trials is really important. Thank you so much to both of you. I really appreciate that you joined us here today and shared your expertise and for everything that you do in our communities to promote health and well-being. Our guests today have been Candace Sanders, Executive Director at Cancer Support Community, California Central Coast, and Dr. Brian DiCarlo, Medical Oncologist and Lead Physician of UCLA Health in San Luis Obispo. On today's show, we learned more about cancer prevention, screening, and treatment here on the Central Coast. This important issue has touched many of our lives, and we recognize and honor National Cancer Prevention Month. I hope that this information is helpful in taking positive steps to support our individual. And as a reminder, you can catch up with guests on social media by looking up Cancer Support Community Central Coast on Facebook or Instagram and UCLA Health on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We hope you will join Central Coast Voices for our next show on Thursday, February 9th at 1 p.m. with host Chris Kington-Baker and guests from Hospice of San Luis Obispo County, Shannon McQuatt, Executive Director, and Kim Shartrand, Registered Nurse, Registered Nurse Case Manager. They will discuss how closing gaps in healthcare can improve both health and economic outcomes. Central Coast Voices has been sponsored by Action for Healthy Communities and the San Luis Obispo Community Foundation in collaboration with KCBX. I'm your host, Mario Espinosa Kulik, and thank you for joining us today. <laughs>